Do you know what the scariest thing is? To not know your place in this world. To not know why you're here. That's... It's just an awful feeling. It has begun. Maestro, would you like to know what has begun? Uh, cookies? I know you like cookies. Well, I do like cookies. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Although although recently, my oldest daughter did make her batch, her or, her latest batch of one of my favorite cookies called S'mores Cookies. <laughs> and they have, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. chocolate, marshmallow, and more sugar than Bilo has on hand at any one time. And so I have about three of those things, and I'm comatose for the next three hours. Yeah, exactly. But it's worth it. It's absolutely... No, that's not what I'm talking about. It has begun, refers to the fact that all the leaves in my yard are coming down, and I have multiple oak trees and various other deciduous trees in my front and backyards, and literally billions if not trillions of leaves are wow. descending right now upon my yard and i hate it i mean I, well I, I shouldn't say that I, I like the way it looks i like the way it sounds what i hate is grabbing a rake and cleaning it up that's what i don't like to do and right now my yard is absolutely covered in brown and i'm kind of jealous because my neighbor next door you ever heard that uh, phrase, Maestro, the grass is greener on the other side? Exactly. Well, on the other side of my border, my neighbor's grass is greener. And not only because he has gotten rid of his leaves thus far, but also because he actually likes his grass and he takes care of it. <laughs> he waters it, he fertilizes it, and it's all really green. It's almost like living in Ireland. Now, my, my yard, on the other hand, I'll cut it when I have to. I really don't care if it ever drinks water, and I really don't care if it ever eats fertilizer. I'll let you use my green uh, spray paint so you can go out and I have the grass. Cons- I have considered purchasing AstroTurf from time to time. I really have. <laughs> Looks great all year long. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? There's there's something to be said about that. Welcome to another edition of the Career Callings Landscaping Show. No, actually, this is the Career Callings Radio Show where we uh, are trying to help people avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision by helping them find, prepare for, and pursue the work God has created them to do. You can join us by text or phone today at 864-381-7649. That's 864-381-7649. Or by email at Robbie at careercallings.net. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at careercallings.net. Now, this idea of grass being greener on the other side does not apply just to my yard and my neighbor's yard. It also applies to... The career search, the job hunt, and where we are maybe even today in our jobs. You know, a lot of times, well, let me say it this way. I've read many, many polls, many, many news articles with references to polls and surveys that talk about how so many people just hate where they work. You know, there are so many people. One poll says 50%. One poll says 75%. One poll says 60%. But bottom line is a large number of people are unhappy at work for one reason or another. And... 
that triggers a desire to begin thinking about getting to the other side where the grass looks to be greener. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And what I want to do here for the next few minutes is kind of address this natural tendency to always see the grass on the other side as being greener and to give us some pause before we actually jump the fence and head that way. And the, the advice, I'm going to give you advice from a couple of different sources, but the first source is the most important source, and that's the Bible. And Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, reads this way, and I'm reading from my, uh, my favorite study version of the Bible, the Amplified Bible. It reads this way, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. And thus begins the story of the book of Ruth. Now, the gentleman's name was Elimelech, and Elimelech and his wife and his two sons went to Moab to escape the famine that was in uh, Israel at the time. And they, they were in a situation where circumstances weren't all that fantastic. They surveyed their land, and they decided that the grass was greener in Moab. So they picked up their tent and took off. Well, ten years later, what happened? Ten years later, Elimelech was dead. Both of his sons were dead, and Naomi, his widow, was heading back to Israel. And uh, Naomi, as the Bible says, was uh, or tells us, was, you know, left the promised land full. And when she returned to the promised land, she was pretty much destitute. And if you analyze that situation, you, you can. Sometimes it's hard to determine if God is is using our circumstances to see if we'll follow Him anywhere or if we'll trust Him where we are. And that's the dilemma Elimelech and his family had. Are, you know, do we do? Are we being led somewhere else? Are we being led to some place where the grass appears greener? Are we supposed to follow him anywhere? Or is this a test of our willingness to trust him and have faith in him where we are today? And that's a hard decision when we're faced with it. It's a hard hard choice to make, but obviously Elimelech chose poorly. He, he went to the other side where the grass seemed to be greener, and as a result, his family suffered and he did not escape the bad circumstances he'd hoped to escape. He actually ran into circumstances which were worse. So just as the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirits that we are the children of God, and actually Romans 8.16 says that, that the Holy Spirit witnesses with us, that same Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirits regarding which decisions to make in life. And, you know, when you are in the midst of feeling like you're unhappy or believing or knowing that you're unhappy where you are and the grass seems to be greener on the other side, one of the things, the first thing you need to do is commune with God regularly to make sure that you're in tune with Him before you jump ship. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by confessing your sin. Because if you're if you're in the midst of rebellion, the Lord's not going to be having a conversation with you. So you got to get that sin out of the way, anything that might be standing between you and Him. Number two, praying without ceasing. Uh, the Bible tells us in all the Gospels, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. And when you read the, the meaning behind that, it means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. And that means you don't just pray one time. You keep on praying until you get the answer. And then, of course, reading and meditating on His Word. And as you do these things, He'll commune with you. That he'll, The Holy Spirit that lives within you will commune with you to give you the right guidance at just the right time and in just the right manner to show you whether or not you're supposed to stay put and trust God, to resolve whatever issue is making you so unhappy, or to jump ship, jump the fence, and go to where the grass is greener according to God's leading. Now, one of the things I've taught many times on the show, and also, as I've mentioned recently, I've created a video to help promote this process, is the four-step biblical decision-making process. 
to help you through this kind of this kind of situation in life. And just a quick rundown of what those four steps are. Pray for wisdom, James one five. Step two is to search the scriptures for the wisdom, Joshua Joshua one eight. Step three is to seek godly counsel from others, Proverbs twenty four six. And step four is to is to to wait for God to give you the peace that passes all understanding, Colossians three fifteen. And uh, you can go to careercallings.net slash videos and go directly to the video that I've created on that biblical decision-making process, that four-step process. It's about a seven-minute video that takes you much more deeply through that process. But you need to use something like that to be able to discern whether or not you're supposed to stay put or jump the fence. Now, another source of information I want to share with you is uh, from a fellow named Ian. Ian Siegel is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Zip Recruiter. And I've heard ZipRecruiter of ZipRecruiter before. They're they're a company that's designed to help employers find employees with a touch of a button is what they advertise. And uh, so it's supposed to, they built the company on convenience for employers. Well, he wrote a book, excuse me, wrote an article for Fortune.com entitled "Never Quit a Job Without First Doing This," and he had some good advice. Uh, in there, and and three things he suggested in his article that people consider before they go to where the grass appears to be greener is number one. Ask yourself, are you miserable? But in this way, figure out if you're miserable on a random day. Are you having a random bad day? Is what he's talking about. You know, if you're miserable every now and then, you know that's not a trigger to be looking for greener grass. Everybody has a bad day. Something comes up that just makes life not so happy. So if it's just a random bad day, eh, probably not a reason to start looking for greener grass. However, if you're in an endless string of bad days, and that, for example, if you just dread going to work and you de- dreaded going to work for weeks or months, then that's probably a signal that maybe you need to go somewhere else to take some of that misery away. Another consideration is are you making enough money? And that, of course, begs the question, how much is enough? And Ian mentioned a a little personal story here that made a lot of sense to me, and I want to share it with you as well. He said he and his co-founders at ZipRecruiter found themselves in a very unique and enviable position, and that was this. They had a profitable startup business, bootstrapped startup business. So they did not have to borrow a lot of money to make a lot of money. So that's kind of unusual, but good for them. And every month they had a choice to make between keeping the profit or reinvesting it for growth. So... When they were going through that process, they just started asking themselves the question, what is enough money? And rather than arguing over numbers in a spreadsheet, he writes, we instead each listed the lifestyle we wanted. And his list was simple. Eat dinner with my family every night, send my kids to good schools, work out three times a week, and if everything felt just right, fly business class. <laughs> Clarifying success in terms of daily life versus dollars made it easy to agree on how much was enough. And so I think that's a good piece of advice to have a good understanding of what you want your life to look like and what kind of funds would be necessary to drive that it will help you understand how much is enough and then maybe help you pick the kind of work, pick the kind of job that will provide that. Number three consideration that he mentioned in his article, are you getting mentored? Do you have a peer or a mentor in your company that you turn to when you have professional questions? And these kind of coaches don't come very easily in the world. So if you're in a, in a workplace where you have that, that would be a reason to try to stay there 
Uh, if you don't have any kind of support, no kind of mentor whatsoever, that may be another clue that maybe you need to go somewhere where you can find that kind of support. So three good pieces of advice from Ian Siegel, co-founder of ZipRecruiter, on helping or trying to discern when it might just be uh, time to look for greener grass on the other side. So we'll we'll uh, talk a little bit more about these kind of topics and concepts uh, in just a few minutes on the other side of the break. And when we get back, Maestro, we're going to have a great little story about sheep. Do you like sheep, by the way? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find the button. Got you off guard, didn't I there, pal? Yeah, I usually ask you questions on the front end. But you know what the Bible says, man. Always be ready to give an answer. And you were not ready. So consider yourself spanked. Get your act together during the break. And we'll see you on the other side. All right, I'm in studio here today with Dr. Jerome I.I. of Palmetto Proactive Healthcare. Doctor, how do you see Teach Me Morpheus helping your business? Palmetto Proactive Healthcare is a direct primary care clinic. We don't contract with insurance companies. Our patients are all self-pay. There's two ways to engage our practice, either a la carte or membership. Teach Me Morpheus will benefit our patients by providing an opportunity to educate our patients outside the clinic. For example, I see you for a sinus infection and realize you forgot to ask me something teach me morpheus can have one of our videos for science infection that you click you can go through my instructions uh, we'll basically become a 24 7 resource for our patients help your customers make money for your organization that's what teachmemorpheus.com a new online learning platform can do for your business or nonprofit. to learn more check out teachmemorpheus.com referral code his radio that's teachmemorpheus.com referral code his radio Only 27% of college grads are working in the career field for which they studied. The average cost of college is a little bit more than 18 grand a year. This means that 73% of college grads waste $75,000 and years of their lives pursuing fields of study they will never use in real life. To learn more about how you or someone you love can use biblical wisdom to avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision, visit careercallings.net slash discover, careercallings.net slash discover. Our lives aren't just measured in years. They're measured in the lives of people we touch around us. This feels like my calling and my purpose in life. There's something different about this journey that's more heart-connected. Purpose is more than just your core of, of your own self. It's beyond your own identity. Everybody ultimately wants to serve other people. You can have everything in life you want. You'll just help enough other people get what they want. And that little bit of sadness in the morning she spoke of. Perhaps you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This segment, Maestro, is going to be jam-packed. We're just going to go ahead and dive right in. This is Robbie Romeiser with the Career Callings Radio Show, 864-381-7649, 864-381-7649, or Robbie at careercallings.net, R-O-B-B-I-E at careercallings.net. And, of course, our mission is always here is to help people avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision by helping them find, prepare for, and pursue the work God created them to do all right you know what i you, it maestro we need to have another edition of stupid business decisions would you mind
strategies. Invest in world-class technology and leverage our core competencies in order to holistically administrate exceptional synergies. Ah, yes, Stupid Business Decisions theme song by Weird Al Yankovic. And today... Our story about stupid business decisions revolves around sheep, shepherding. But the stupid business decision in this case was not committed by the shepherd. It was committed by the sheep. In July 2005, the following story hit news outlets around the world. 450 sheep leapt to their deaths in the Turkish village of uh Givas, Givas, G-E-V-A-S. How would you pronounce that, uh, Maestro? Any idea, since you are the scholar in the room? Javet? Um, okay. I don't sure. know. Sure. That sounds really, really Greek. All right. So, or, excuse me, Turkish. We're talking about Turkey. The chain, re- <laughs> the chain reaction started when one sheep went over the cliff, enticing nearly 1,500 other sheep to follow. According to the As- uh, uh, Act. Axum, A-K-S-A-M, newspaper. According to the newspaper. Did you read this before you? I, I did. I just don't know how to pronounce those words, man. Whatever. By the time the 450 sheep had died, the pile of sheep carcasses at the bottom of the cliff had apparently grown so large that they cushioned the fall of the remaining, saving another 1,550 sheep. So... The moral of the story is if you're going to fall off a cliff, just throw a few sheep down before you fall, okay? That's the moral of the story there. But uh, not a great not a great business decision there on the behalf of the sheep. Unfortunately, a lot of times uh, we make bad business decisions in a very similar fashion because we're following, following the wrong shepherd. And that's kind of what I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes. So many times our bad business decisions whether they be decisions because uh, involving a business that we run, but or for many of us would be bad decisions on what kind of careers we choose, what kind of jobs we choose. Either way you look at it, whether you're an employer or an employee, you can make bad business decisions. And a lot of times we do so because we're following the wrong shepherd. And the shepherd we might be normally following is what we think is right, our heart, our mind, what we think makes sense to our human wisdom. Rather than taking uh, the somewhat unorthodox method of following biblical advice, following what God shows us in the Bible, listening to his call, following whatever it is he's showing us through his word and through our prayers and through the biblical advice of other people. Because a lot of times you can go through the four steps of the biblical decision-making process we talked about in segment one and still not do what God told you to do because you're just too doggone stubborn. And at that point, it's which shepherd are you following? So in order to help build your faith, as it has helped build my faith, I want to share with you a clip from a movie called Evolution Versus God, produced by Ray Comfort and his ministry, livingwaters.com. Now, this movie was created, produced, and is on YouTube for free. It was created and produced in 2013. And as always, I'll link to these kind of things that I mentioned on the show at careercallings.net slash radio. And you'll be able to link to it from uh, the webpage that has today's broadcast on it. And I want you just to listen for a moment to what he did. What he basically did was use these, what Ray Comfort did, is he used the Socratic method of questioning to 
help some atheists understand the futility of where they're coming from in their argument. And the typical atheist argument is this. You Christians are stupid. You're, you're, you have blind faith because what you have cannot be proved. What you believe in cannot be proved. Listen to Ray Comfort as he turns the tables on them. Maestro, please. So you can't think of any observable evidence for evolution? No. How do you know it's true? I'm not sure. So Darwinian evolution is not observable. It's not scientific. I guess so. So it's unscientific. You can't prove it. It's scientific, actually. You could prove it. It could be proven. Just do it for me. Ah, that's hard. I don't got... I don't... It's just... That's just too broad of a... It's unobservable. That's why you need millions of years. Yes, exactly. Well, you're trusting the biology majors and the biology professors know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and they can't even give me a... They can't even give me evidence of a change of kinds. Well, I... Well, then there isn't one. If they don't give it, then I don't... I wouldn't say there was. Yeah. I just go on what I've seen and what I've learned from... What so you believe? Yeah. You know what that's called? What? Blind faith. Blind faith. <laughs> Faith is the great copper, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Richard Dawkins. Do you believe in intelligent design? Of course not. Do you think everything is intelligently designed? Um, no, I don't believe that things are intelligently designed. Okay, you seem like an intelligent person, so I'm going to ask you something. I'd like you to make me a rose, okay? How would you make a rose? I don't have the, the, the capabilities to do no, that. Hang on. No, it's not intelligently designed, so you should better whip me up a rose real quick. Do you believe a rose is intelligently designed? Definitely not. In order for me to know what to make, I have to know what a rose is. Well, it's got a seed, so you've got to start with nothing and you've got to create a seed from nothing. Oh. Can you do that? No, I can't. Could you make a rose from nothing? No. Can't you make something from nothing. It's it's just basic, you know, science. A rose from nothing? A rose. Just like, I, I can't, honestly. Why not? Me, I just, I have no supernatural abilities. All the geniuses in the world can't make a grain of sand from nothing. We don't know where to start. I can't. Why not? I don't have millions, billions of years. That would be physically impossible. I mean, I would have to, that's, that's not possible. So how could you say everything's not intelligently designed? Where does that leave you on the scale of intelligence if you say everything's not intelligently designed and you can't even make a rose? Yes, it's fun to cross-examine atheists when you put them in their place. He did a fantastic job of helping them understand that the accusation that they throw at Christians is actually one that's better thrown at them. The whole idea behind evolution, or at least one of the whole ideas behind evolution, is back at the beginning of everything, the beginning of time, there was something that came from nothing. And there is, there is no evidence. There's no science. There's nothing that's ever been observed. And science is based on observable, testable um cause and effect relationships, and no one has ever or will ever be able to observe the creation of something from nothing, nor has, as he said earlier in the movie, anybody ever observed a monkey turning into a fish or an insect turning into a finch, which is a type of bird. As a matter of fact, Darwin's finches are what so many uh, evolutionists for years have been trying to point out as an example of evolution. Well, the point he made in the in the video is what I've heard many times over the years, all Darwin's finches proved is that beaks of the, of the birds can get larger and smaller to adapt to their environment, but they're still finches. They never turned into gorillas. 
So the changing of kinds from one species to another can't exist. Or changing one kind to another can't exist. doesn't exist. No one's ever observed it. So any atheist or evolutionist who believes in that is believing it in, with blind faith because they can't prove it. I think there is, I know there is so much more evidence for the God of the Bible out there. We just don't have time to get into today. But let me just give you one book. If you want to read a book that's like an encyclopedia of information... You ought to read Josh McDowell's The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That's a great book. It answers so many questions. Well, in the time we have remaining, I want to play another clip for you. Uh, I was on. I was a guest on the Money Wise radio show put out by Compass Financial Ministries uh, just a few days ago. I was a guest on their show earlier this year, and they were kind enough to have me come back. And I want to talk about this. I uh, just want to play this clip of one of the questions we talked about on the show. Robbie, tell us this. Uh, you know, how does a person know? If they're being called. Again, just giving you my own personal experience. Um, I'm a very stubborn-headed, thick-headed person. I like to joke that it's because I'm a man, and most men are. Uh, That may or may not be true, but I can definitely say for myself I am. Well, the Lord, for example, with career callings and then prior to that, with the daily devotional website that you mentioned earlier on called Today's Quote from God, both of those situations, both of those efforts are things I know I was called to do, but I was extremely resistant. Hmm. But the first time I heard that call, the second time I heard that call, the 30th time I heard that call, I kept telling the Lord no because I knew how much time and effort it would take to do those kind of things. And I had my own plans and my own directions. The reason I confidently can tell people that it was a calling is because the Lord would never let up. The Lord is more persistent than any human being could ever imagine to be. And if he's got something he wants you to do, even if it makes no sense to you or to anybody else, he's not going to let up until you yield. And so I think part of the career callings process is that he, you know, for his children, he will lay something on your heart at some point in your life that he will not give up on. And that is a humongous clue to what you should be doing from a calling standpoint. And how does a person um, know? that God's landed on their heart. Um, you know, I mean, how do, how do they recognize what I call God's voice uh, in, in terms of speaking to their heart? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a two-step process, at least at its bare bones, skeleton structure, if I can say it that way. The first thing is to really know God's purpose and God's calling. And this may seem like a very basic beginning response, but I think it's a basic beginning response. A lot of people just glaze over. You really have to be a child of God. There are a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians who've never done what the Bible says you have to do to be saved. They've never repented of their sins and put their entire faith on Christ to save them. And so if you want to be in tune with God, you first of all have to take that true step of salvation to truly become one of his children. And then after that, you have to build a relationship with him. I mean, the Bible is clear that we are not to quench the Spirit. And the Bible is clear in many passages like 1 Corinthians 3.16 that the Holy Spirit moves within us at the moment of salvation. So that spirit, the God dwells within us. And and, they, and just to kind of quote that, this is 1 Corinthians 3.16 from the Amplified Bible. Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, or God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you both collectively as a church and also individually as a person. So if you want to be able to hear that call, mm. you've got to be in tune with the God that lives within you. And if I can just say it this way, there are parents and children that have great relationships, and the parents hear their, I see the children hear their parents' voice. 
But when those children rebel, the communication between those parents and those children stops, and those kids don't hear it anymore. Yeah. Prodigal son, prodigal son, perfect example of the Bible. When the prodigal son went and did his own thing, he had separated himself from the father, didn't have any understanding of the father's wishes or, or, or what the father wanted to tell him during that time because they were completely separated. It wasn't until the son came back and uh, was obedient and repentant that that relationship was reborn, reconnected, and that they could communicate again. Yeah, that's good. That's good. CareerCallings.net slash radio for a copy of today's broadcast. Have a blessed day.